Good morning. Despite it being zero out, this is the day that the Lord has made, and he saw fit to make it zero degrees out. So, praise the Lord. We're still here. Uh, I want to start out by it, saying if, if you have ever, you know, you've come to this church for any amount of time, and maybe you have made it to a Wednesday night service, you know, those are sort of the services that we devote to prayer. We have a small time of worship, and small time of prayer, and sometimes Pastor Joe does a small Bible study. It's a shorter service, but you will recognize it is not uncommon for Pastor Joe every now and again to give us homework. Anyone remember Pastor Joe's given us homework before? He's given us a homework assignment. Now, this morning is going to be a little bit different. I actually kind of wrestled with this. I prayed and kind of felt like this is what the Lord was, was leading me towards and almost watered it up and threw it away and Went and kind of talked with my dad about it, and he said, no, no, that's good, go on with it. So this might be a little bit different, but I call this homework assignment. Now, before anyone gets bent out of shape, no, I'm not going to give you any homework. We'll leave that up to Pastor Joe. But do you remember, and Pastor Joe's given us things, and I was thinking about these homework assignments. Pastor Joe has said things before, like uh, I remember one of them was, not too long ago, find some scriptures Proving and supporting the Holy Trinity. I don't know if you remember that or not, but that was our assignment he gave us on a Wednesday. And then the next Wednesday we come back, he asked, and you know, we could raise our hands and say, ah, Pastor Joe, I found this and that, and, you know, and just kind of shout out things. I think that he does that just to get us in our word. Amen? I remember another one where this long time ago he would name a person, you know, not a, not a generally known person, not Moses, someone easy. Uh, he would name a person in the Bible that you've Man, we really never heard of, and he would say, find that person in the Word and tell me what they did. That was another homework assignment he'd give us. So, you know, he gave that to us a Wednesday. Next Wednesday we'd come back, he would ask, did anyone do their homework? And people raise their hands, and he would say, well, who is so-and-so? Oh, so those are some of the homeworks. Do you remember not too awful long ago he gave us a riddle? We even got a riddle as a homework assignment one time. And he read us this riddle and printed off some copies and We'd have to go through our word and see if we could figure out what this riddle was. So those are some of the homework assignments that he's given us. Now, if memory serves me correctly, I think it was three Wednesdays ago, he gave us another homework assignment, okay? And like I said, it's to get us to dig into our word. And Now, this homework assignment that he gave us three Wednesdays ago, if you were there, if not, I'll tell you, he said to find some scriptures, find a few scriptures, three scriptures that strike fear into you. Okay, so he gave us that, I think, three Wednesdays ago. Then the next Wednesday, people raised their hand and, and people read some good stuff, some scriptures that struck fear into us. Well, I want to tell Pastor Joe that I did my homework assignment and I'm here to turn it in this morning. Okay, so we're going to spend this morning going over the homework assignment that I did and I want to turn it in this morning. Scripture number one. Now, these are some scriptures that strike fear into me when I read them. Yes, I'm born again. Yes, I'm saved. But they strike fear into me, and they make me shudder. They make my knees knock, if you will. When I read them, I almost wish I could remove them out of the Bible. When I read them, I almost wish I could unread them because they are fearful. They cause me to get fearful. Scripture number one is found in the book of Job. 
We have this man named Job, and we're going to start reading in chapter 1. But we have this man named Job. The Bible said he was perfect. He was upright. There was no one else like him. This man was awesome. He was blessed. He had, I think, ten children, daughters, and sons. He had all kinds of land. He had all kinds of sheep and camels and oxen. This Job, it says there was no one like Job. He was the greatest of all these men was Job. He was perfect and upright. Matter of fact, it said that Job was so spiritual, was such a God-fearing man that he would pray, he would rise up early, the Bible says, and he would go and pray just in case one of his sons had sin in their heart, the Bible said. He would, and he did this continually, the Bible said. Okay, so this Job we're talking about was no rank heathen. This was a spiritual, God-fearing man. The most perfect man of that age was Job. This awesome man, this great man, the Lord had blessed him. He had lots of things. The Lord had his hand over Job. He had a hedge around Job. Okay? Now that's not the stuff that scares me. We're going to get to that. And we're going to start reading in verse 8. Job chapter 1 verse 8. Now we have God and Satan in a conversation. Okay? So they're talking. And it's almost as if God is proud of his servant Job. You know, of, of this awesome guy you know, that... God has his hand over it. The Lord's proud of him. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? Okay, verse 8 said, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and hates evil? Verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him? and about his house, and about all that he has on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hand, and the substance is increased in the land. Verse 11, But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to thy face. Now that isn't even the part that scares me. Okay, what it is, is God and Satan are talking you know, about this awesome man named Job, this God-fearing man, and this part doesn't particularly bother me because I expect it from Satan. Okay, they're talking about Job, and I expect Satan. The Bible says he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. And Job, or Satan wants to destroy Job and thinks that he can get him to curse God. Okay, that's not the part that scares me. I expect that out of Satan. Don't we expect evil to come from Satan? He wants us all ruined. He wants you ruined, me ruined, financially, spiritually, physically. He wants us destroyed. That's his only point. So what Satan says to the Lord, that doesn't necessarily bother me. I expect that from Satan. We should expect that type of thing to come from Satan. I bet you I can get him to curse you, God. Does he fear God for not, for no good reason? Lord, I can get him to curse you. So that's not necessarily what strikes fear in me. What strikes fear into me is the very next verse, verse 12. Now, this is my first scripture that I'm turning into Pastor Joe this morning. Job chapter 1, verse 12 says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now, that bothers me a little bit. And I would think if you're a normal thinking individual, if you're a Christian, God-fearing person, that should bother you as well. You see, because I pray... To God, and I pray continually, Lord, keep your hand over my family. 
Protect me from disease. Protect my family. Protect my church family. Keep your hand over us, Lord. Don't take your hand away. But here in this particular circumstance, the Lord is almost as if he's turning over Job to be afflicted by Satan. It's almost as if God has given a stamp of approval to Satan to go and do what he wants to do with this individual. It strikes fear in me because I think, what about me? What, what about me? I don't want all my home to be destroyed. I don't want all my stuff to be burned up. I don't want my children to die. What about me? What if God does that? What if the Lord and Satan, what if Satan comes across my path? What if Satan says, doth Jason serve God for naught? Or what if he says it about you? Doth so-and-so serve God for naught? Man, that, that scripture bothers me so much that the Lord gives Satan permission and says, you know what? I will remove my hedge. Because Satan says, don't you have a hedge over him? I can't get to him. Remove it. And he does. And that strikes fear in me. Strikes fear in me because what if it happens to me? What if it happens to you? Do you want God to remove his hedge off of you? But for some reason beyond me, God saw fit to take his hedge of protection off of Job, off of his property, off of his family. Oh, that, that gets to me. Behold, all that he has is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. And Satan leaves and goes out. And if you continue to read, you'll see that his camels are stolen. And the servants watching those camels are all slain. You'll see that fire erupts and kills all of his sheep and all the servants that are watching all these sheep. You see, that, that, those are how they were rich back then, all these livestock. It would be like, like us having a million dollars in a bank. That, to them, that was all their riches, was livestock, and all of it destroyed. And his oxen, it says, the Bible says, was stolen. These people came and stole them and killed the servants. You know, and these people were coming telling Job all in the same day, and Job scratching his head. Then the Bible actually goes on to say that a great wind, all of his children were in the same house, said they were eating and drinking together, the brothers and the sisters. All ten of them were in the same house. The Bible says this big wind, I don't know if it means a tornado or whatever, but a wind came and knocked the house down and killed all of his children. Then the Bible says Job rips his clothes off, shaves his head, Falls on his face and worships the Lord. He says, naked I came into this world, naked I'll return. And it says he still doesn't curse God. That's why that scripture strikes fear into me. Because God removed his hedge. You know, I got a buddy at work that can barely believe in the Bible because of the book of Job. You see, I don't, you can find all these preachers on TV talking about the prosperity gospel and the gospel of blessings and favor. And, and God does do some of that stuff. But the book of Job blows all that stuff out of the water. Blows it all out of the water. Where was the prosperity gospel to Job when his stuff was burning up and stolen and children were slain? The book of Job is a crazy book. It strikes fear into my heart when God removes his hedge. I've got children. I've got a wife. I don't want anything bad to happen to them. God gives permission. See, I want the Lord to protect me. I want him to keep me from those things happening. You know, if I could rewrite the book of Job, 
Yo, when Satan and the Lord come to talk, I would rather it said the Lord said, no, flee from Job, and Job live happily ever after. That's what I would want if it was me, if I could rewrite it, because that's easier for me to digest. It's tough for me to digest the fact that God removes the hedge. God, that strikes fear into me. All of his stuff stolen, drops down, rips his clothes off, shaves his head, and worships the Lord. So Satan comes back. Now, that was his first attempt. Satan comes back to the Lord. Skin for skin, yea, all that a man has will he give for his life. Take your hand, Lord, and touch his bone, touch his flesh. That's what Satan says the next time. And the Lord, it, this bothers me, chapter 2, verse 6, says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life. God does it again. I see that and I'm like, ah, that, that's, that's hard for me to take. Lord, I, this Job, we're not talking about some dirtbag rank heathen that hates you. We're talking about a man that fears you, that prays continually. He says he rises up early in the morning every day and prays just in case there's a sin somewhere. That's how good of a guy this is, but yet the Lord says, behold, he is in thy hands. Now, some of God's reasoning is beyond me, and it's beyond you. He does what he does. He's higher than we are. His ways are not our ways. So I can't explain to you exactly why God did this, why God allowed it. All I can tell you is it strikes fear into my heart when God says, behold, he is in your hand. Man, it strikes fear into me. God took his hedge off, took his hedge off his family. And look what happened. He was brought down to nothing. He had nothing. He lost it all. Now, what if Satan comes your way? Do those scriptures strike fear into you? What if he comes your way? What if he sees you serving the Lord and he comes and says, doth so-and-so serve God for naught? I can get him to curse you. Lord, let me get him. Let me, give me permission to come get that person. That scares me. It worries me. I know I read uh, several scriptures to you, but that only counts as one because they're all similar. Well, what if God lets me get all tore up, my kids, everything I've worked for? What if my stuff burns up with fire? I, I just think it's scary. Very scary. I almost wish we could take Job out of the Bible. But we can't. It's in there. You either believe the Bible or you don't believe the Bible. It's in there. One day, brothers and sisters, it could be your turn. One day, Satan could be talking about you to God. One day, it might be my turn. That's why I fear it. That's why it strikes fear into me. But for some reason, God saw fit to remove it. So that's scripture number one. Scripture number two. Now this might be even worse. I don't know. Scripture number two that strikes fear into me. That I'm turning in from my homework assignment. And you could argue that I'm a little bit late, but well. Scripture number two is found in the book of Mark. And they're the words of Jesus Christ. It's, I'm going to read you a little excerpt of something that Jesus said that strikes fear into me and really bothers me and makes me almost say, yikes, I don't know about this. Mark chapter 9. Now, Jesus has his 12 disciples around him. 
okay? And there's even a child in the midst, and he's talking to these disciples. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. Okay, and it says, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45 says, And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47 says, And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Now, I don't know if you noticed but there, Jesus repeats himself three times and says the same exact thing three times in a row. And he says, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. I don't know if that bothers you at all, but it bothers me a little bit, okay? Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Don't make me squirm just a little bit, because whatever he's talking about, I don't want to deal with it. Now listen, I'll tell you why it scares me. The New International Version says, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Does that make you kind of say, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. The New Living Translation of that scripture says, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. Okay, I don't know what your experience with maggots is. But I've never had a favorable experience with maggots, okay? Maybe you have. I have never walked away and thought, that was a pleasurable sight, or that was a pleasurable experience with maggots. They're disgusting little creatures, amen? They're disgusting, putrid, nasty little worm-like things that I don't necessarily want to deal with. I've seen some maggots in my time. I've seen maggots before on roadkill. You ever seen a deer all bloated up on the side of the road? As a little kid, you poke it or something and maggots come oozing out. It smells so bad, you drive heave. It's just disgusting, is it not? That's, that's the experience I have with maggots, okay? I've seen maggots before, you know, maybe a hunk of chicken or a hunk of meat gets stuck in the bottom of your trash barrel. You know, it's out there baking in the 100 degree sun and you go and your trash bag bursts open and out pours them nasty, disgusting maggots. I have not have a I have never had a good experience with maggots. They're disgusting little creatures. But yet here we have Jesus saying, not only do we have these disgusting maggots, but they don't die. Okay, these are maggots that don't die. So, you know, if there's a maggot on your arm, you slap it and you kill it and get it off. Then you can go bathe or take a shower because it's so disgusting. But these ones that apparently eat on you or whatever they do, they don't die. You can't kill these kind. Jesus is saying you can't kill them. Where their worm dieth not, where the maggots die not, they don't die. I don't know what it means, but if you're going to have maggots on you or whatever, but you can't kill these kind, there's some sort of super strain, superhero maggots. And I don't want to deal with them. And this scripture kind of makes me say, I I don't want to mess with whatever he's talking about. I don't want no part of that. Years and years and years ago, I was probably young. And I never forget, I remember Bruce preached about this. 
And as a little boy, it struck me, and I still remember it to this day when he preached about this scripture. Where their worm dieth not. Uh, to me, that's just disgusting. Visualize it, if you will, for a minute. You, know, you don't deal with sin. This is what you're going to end up dealing with. You know that this Jesus, when he says, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, you know that's actually a small description of hell, right? That's just a little description of where, what awaits you if you don't deal with sin. Because he's telling us, after your hand offends you, lop it off. Better to go through life having one hand than being physically fit and be thrown and deal with what we just read. If your eyeball offends you, if you can't stop looking at things you shouldn't, pluck one of them out. Better to go blind, better to go one eye into heaven than it is into hell with both of them and deal with what we just read. Amen? Uh, these, these disgusting maggots are eating your... You have a worms all over you. I don't want to deal with that. They're disgusting. They're gross. I'm not a maggot expert, but I know enough that I don't want them on me, especially these super ones that you can't kill. Not me. You know, and they, they eat on you. I, I don't know exactly what it's talking about, but for all eternity, the, are these things on you, feasting on your flesh fleecing on your body and you can't get rid of them you know, this scripture strikes fear into me next time you're getting ready to sin or watch a horrible show that you know you shouldn't be watching think about this scripture where their worm dieth not and the fire's not quenched think about maggots on you oh well, that's that scripture is disgusting <clears throat> now not only do we have these disgusting maggots? And I'm sorry I keep talking about maggots, but sometimes in church you got to get down and dirty. Not only do we have these disgusting maggots that Jesus is talking about that don't die, they're eating on you. Not only do we have that, the problem is compounded by a fire that is not quenched. As if maggots weren't bad enough. We now have this fire that is not quenched. I don't know how intelligent you are, but that's not a good combination. Maggots and eternal fire is not a good combo. Okay, it's not a good combo that I want to deal with, all right? Not, I don't want to deal with maggots and eternal fire. Now, I heat my home with a wood burner, constantly cutting firewood. You constantly have to throw wood in, especially when we have weather like this. It's zero out. Man, I'm constantly throwing wood in there. But one thing I've noticed... All the wood I throw in there gets consumed. i got to throw more in. This fire, this unearthly fire that Jesus refers to, it doesn't even need fuel. It just keeps on going and going and going. You don't have to feed this one. This fire is unearthly. It's not like anything we've seen. It can't be quenched. It just keeps on devouring and burning. And I, I don't want to deal. Also, with the maggots on you, with worms on you. I don't know if that scares you, but it scares me. I don't want to deal with it. Now, I have a, a blister. If you could see better, I have a blister on my finger. And I was scooping out ashes, I don't know, a week ago or so. And for a millisecond, and I mean a millisecond, my finger touched the metal in my ash pan. Just a millisecond. It, I had a hole in my glove that I didn't see. And it touched there, and 
for the rest of that day, that thing hurt. The next day I woke up, there was a big blister that I had to pop. Just for a millisecond. Okay, why does this scripture scare me? Because it's a fire that is never quenched. Okay, I touched fire for a millisecond, and I didn't like it. A millisecond. Imagine a fire that doesn't go away. Uh, I know hell's not real popular to talk about, but it's in here. Okay, I would like to take that out of there. I would like to, to make it better. I would like to say, hey, Jesus didn't mean that. He, he, I would like this, but it's in there, amen? It's in there, and they're written in red, words of Jesus Christ, warning from Jesus Christ to us of what we got awaiting us if we don't deal with the sin in our lives. Now, that's scripture number two. Maggots and eternal fire. That kind of makes me squirm a little bit, makes my knees knock. I don't want to deal with it. So for my homework assignment, that's scripture number two. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It's a description of hell. That strikes fear into me. Next time you're tempted, think about maggots. Scripture number three. I told you this being a little bit different this morning, but that's okay. Scripture number three. This scripture, this is my last scripture, and it's found in Romans chapter 14, verse 12. It's very short. I call it short, squeak, and scary. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now that's all it says, but that's enough to scare me. Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You know what I notice about that scripture that immediately jumps out at me? It says, shall give account of himself. Okay, the Lord will ask you about you. He's not going to ask you about your wife. He's not going to ask you about your husband. He's not going to ask you to give account for your neighbors or your boss or your pastor or your best friend. He's going to ask you to give account for you. Okay, there's not going to be any blame game on this day. On this judgment day, you can't blame, point your finger over there. He's going to say, I'm asking about you. Give account for you, your reactions, your actions, why you did what you did, your motivations, your intentions. Give me an account of what you did with the years in your life. So that every one of us must give an account of himself to God. Your intentions, your motives, your decisions, your stewardship. With your money, everything. The home, your job, everything. you got to fess up to God. And I can just see God, if you start blaming someone else, you go, I, I didn't ask you about that person. I'll deal with that person later. He's next later in the line. Or he's going to say, I already dealt with them. I'm asking about you. Well, my boss was a jerk. That's not going to matter on that day. What's going to matter is your reactions, the way you acted, what's recorded. And God is a righteous judge. Uh, That's another thing that's scary. He's a righteous judge. He ain't like the judges we have nowadays that can't discern good or evil. And another thing that jumps out at me about this scripture. You don't have to explain. You're not going to be explaining yourself to angels. You're not going to be explaining yourself to your wife. 
or to your friends or to the pastor, you're going to explain your actions, your stewardship, your decisions. You're going to explain it to God himself. You're going to be there in front of God, and he's going to be staring at you. The Bible says he has eyes of fire, his voice like many waters, his hair is white like wool. You can describe the way you lived your life directly to him. Not going to be angels, it's going to be to him. Does that strike fear in you, brothers and sisters? It does me. It does to me. You can explain it to God. You have to tell him why you did what you did or why you didn't do what he wanted you to do. you got to explain it to him. You no longer have to convince Pastor Joe that you're a good person or me that you're a good dude. you got to convince him. New Living Translation for Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, Yes, each one of us will give a personal account to God. You know, I opt to think that there might be some embarrassing moments. He can reveal your thoughts then. The, thought that's, the thoughts that I'm too embarrassed for you to know, that I'm too embarrassed for my wife to know, that I'm ashamed of. And he can make them manifest. All things will be naked and open to him. You will give a personal account to God. Have you ever been nervous for a big test? You know, I know a lot of us have been out of school for a long time. But have you ever been nervous for a presentation? Have you ever been nervous for a first day on a job? That's child's play compared to judgment day. Child's play. And don't anybody give me this, I'm going to bebop my way right into heaven. Nobody bebops their way right into heaven. No one does the waltz right through the pearly gates. I don't care how holy you think you are. No one will. Everyone's going to fall on their face. The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. Everyone will. The hardest criminals on the planet that have ever lived will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. They will. The most arrogant sports athletes alive that ever lived, that made millions and billions of dollars, will bow down and confess that Jesus is Lord. Druggies will bow down and confess that Jesus is Lord. Poor people will. Rich people will. The greatest corporate executive in the world will bow down and confess that Jesus is Lord on that day. Everyone will. We will, I will, you will. Nobody's going to bebop their way through the pearly gates and give Jesus a high five on the way through. Don't happen that way. You will give a personal account to God. That, that scripture scares me, scares me. Don't tell me, brother, but I'm good. I don't do that bad. The Bible says man in his best state is vanity. Bible says there's none good. Don't tell me you're good. Nobody's good, the Bible says. A personal account. Yeah, the baddest dudes on the planet will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Presidents, everyone will. And you know what he's going to say? When we walk up before him, he's going to say, get the books out. Here comes so-and-so, get the books out. And you're going to be judged out of those books because he records it. And he records it legitimately. He's going to say, is his name found in the book? 
And it's either going to be written in there or it's not going to be written in there. To me, that, that strikes fear in me that we, one day, I will, one day, you will have to stand in front of God. I don't know if we can fully understand that, but one day we're going to stand before him. Stand before him. We're not going to be able to lie or cover anything up. That's, that's scary to me. You know, I'm looking forward to being in heaven. I am very much so, but I'm not looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not. That's just a, a, a huge thing. Um, it strikes fear into me. Okay, so that's, that's my homework assignment that I wanted to turn in. Now, to sum all of this up, you, you think, well, thanks for telling us. What, what good does that do? I'll tell you what good it does. Because it's still the Word of God. Amen? The Scriptures in this book, and there are a lot of them that we wrestle with, a lot of them that are hard to digest, a lot of them that are hard to take, a lot of them are, but it's the Word of God. The Holy Spirit breathed into man, and man penned these words and make it, here we have it, here in our laps, and I know that some of it is good. You know, we have the bread box scriptures. Pastor Joe sometimes says the, the, the scriptures that say good things and favorable things and things that are delightful to hear. But they're also the tough things, the things that are hard to digest, the things that are hard to take. Some of the things that I read to you this morning, they are hard to take. Scriptures on hell, they're scary. They are. We don't like to reflect on them as nearly as much as we do the good ones. Where the Lord talks about favors and blessings and prosperity. We love those ones. But we have to accept the whole entire Bible from cover to cover is truth. Amen? They are in there. The tough scriptures the, the hard-to-digest scriptures, the, the bad scriptures, the book of Job, it's in there for my good. It's in there for your good. See, the, the tough scriptures, they're in there for our own good, to edify us, to build us up. I want to read this one final scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, and I know most all of us know this. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Brothers and sisters, the book of Job is in there to reprove us, to rebuke us, to exhort us, to instruct us. That's why God saw foot, fit to put that book in there. It was the preaching and teaching of Jesus where he says, Their worm dieth not. And the fire is not quenched. That's put in there as inspiration from God. It's actually profitable to us. It's profitable to me, to my spirit, to your spirit, as a body of Christ. These tough scriptures that scare us are profitable to us. They're good for us. They're almost like the vegetables. You know, as a little kid, now that I've gotten older, I'm a lot better eating my vegetables. As a little kid, I never liked my vegetables. My dad and mom always had to yell at me, eat your vegetables, eat your vegetables. You know, you always try to sneak and maybe wrap them up in your napkin or feed them to the dog or whatever it was because you didn't like your vegetables, but the vegetables are the things that's good for you, that cause you to grow and give nourishment to your body. That's what these 
gnarly scriptures are about. They're the ones that cause you to grow. When the Lord Jesus says, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, that's a vegetable to keep you from sin. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know, if I think about it, and I'm going to close here shortly, if I think about it, these scriptures, they are pretty nasty. But in a way, I'm thankful for them. Because what if Jesus never said those words that he said? What if he didn't give me the warnings about hell? I'd be off doing whatever in the world I wanted to do. I might obey the Lord, I might not. I'll choose. There ain't no consequence. But God saw fit that he loved us so much, he said, hey, there's consequences. I'm going to warn you, and I'm going to write it down and put it here in the book. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. So there's my homework assignment. I turned it in to Pastor Joe. Hopefully I get an A. And we'll look forward to more homework assignments. If Pastor Joe gives you a homework assignment, do it. Do it. Get in your word and search and study. Guys, if you want to play something, let's bow our heads. I want to pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, as I read these three different verses, Lord, that strikes fear into me, Lord, and I know that there are many, many more scriptures that strike fear into us from your word. Lord, we actually thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures that are tough for us, Lord. We thank you for the scriptures that warn us. We thank you for the scriptures about sin, about hell, Lord God. We thank you for the book of Job, Lord. We thank you that you told us that there will be a day we stand before you. We thank you, Lord, because those scriptures scare us, and they scare us straight to walk on the straight and narrow path, Father God. But we ask, Lord, that these scriptures will be recalled into our memory whenever we're getting ready to go astray, Father God. Lord God, I just pray, Father, that you would just instill this inside of us, Lord God. Let it be inside of us, Lord. Lord, we just ask all these things in your precious Son's name. Amen. Amen. Look, if you feel like you may want to spend a few moments with God, we always have that time at the end of our services. Make your way down, pray. Ask God to drive this home into your heart. Drive it inside of you. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Ask him to put them scary scriptures inside you that you might not sin against him. Amen.